bless you uh, for it. So let's pray tonight. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this night. We're grateful, Lord, for the fact that we can gather, we can worship you, we can worship your name tonight as we look to your word. I pray that your word would just jump off the pages to our minds, to our hearts, Lord, that you would have our attention, our affection tonight. God, that we'd worship you as your word is given and is read and is taught, Lord, I pray that it would not just be it would not be me or, or my gifts or my anything, Lord, that would that would teach tonight would be you, Lord, that you would get me out of the way, that you would show us what we need tonight from your word, that you would more importantly show us Christ, show us yourself, Lord, that we would respond and receive it by faith tonight. Lord, I pray that you bless each one for coming out tonight and just thank you for each one of them. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 18 tonight. I want to read verses 20 through 29, and then we're just going to work through Tonight, sort of the theme for this section is uh, God's faithfulness to the faithful. And God is always faithful. That's who He is. It's a part of His character, His nature. There's never been a moment where God has not been faithful. Uh, But we're going to look at this tonight from David's perspective in the first few verses of this passage, verses 20 to uh, 24. It's sort of David looking at his faithfulness to God. And we're going to notice this, and we'll go ahead and get this out of the way. David here in these verses is not going to be boasting and saying, look at how faithful I am to the Lord. I am the most faithful that there is, the most humble that there is. That's not David's idea here. But rather, what he's doing is he's showing us the example that a believer can live in a right position with God, knowing his union and having communion with God, and be able to live with with a freedom, to, to be able to express his faith to the Lord and to express from a perspective that knows that it's not necessarily His faithfulness that is, is what is being looked at, but that God has been faithful to the faithful. And that God has rightly and justly uh, worked and acted on uh, David's behalf. And this brings David joy and comfort that he can rest assured knowing, I have trusted the Lord and God has rewarded that. I, I do believe this tonight. I don't believe it's just an Old Testament uh, mentality or just the Old Testament principle. I believe this is for believers today as well that God does bless those who are obedient. There is a blessing in obedience. Notice this uh, before we even really get into the, the meat and the heart of this passage tonight. The times that we see God's blessing the most are when we are the most faithful to Him. When we're living outside of communion with the Lord, when we're off living in the flesh, doing our own thing, it's much more difficult to see God for who He is. And so, uh, tonight, as we look at this passage, I want to read for us verse 20 through 29, and we'll, we're going to look at David's faithfulness to God in the first section of it. In the second section, we're going to look at God's faithfulness to David. Verse number 20 says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, hath He recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands and his eyesight. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the froward thou wilt show thyself froward. For Thou wilt save the afflicted people, but wilt bring down the high looks. For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. Now I know my natural tendency is to want to go ahead and get over to verse 30 and keep going, but that's for another section. But what this is ultimately leading to 
is this is a song of David praising God for who he is. And this is David doing one of two things, and I believe perhaps a combination of, of both. One, he's looking back on the, uh, the way in which God delivered him from the hand of Saul and from Absalom and all of his enemies, and he's praising God for these things. But as well, this is sort of at the end of, of David's life where he's looking back on all that God has done. I believe that as, as we get older in the Lord, not just in, in our age, but as well as our maturity, we should spend a great deal of our time not looking backwards, wishing for the good old days, but rather looking at the days that were past that God showed Himself faithful to bring us to today. And that it is all these years of God's faithfulness to us, this is the very reason why we trust Him for the very next breath that we take, and even for the very next week ahead, for the days ahead, for the years ahead, for the trials ahead. And so we find that this is God dealing with David here and, and, and what he's done and how he's been faithful. And David is living his life based upon this. Now, as we look here tonight and we just pick up here in verse number 20, we're going to see sort of the reward for the righteous that David sees here. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, that he recompensed me. Now, you and I must never forget this, that there is a reward in heaven. Now, I would say this, above all things, above any crown that we might get in heaven, the greatest reward is to be in the presence of the Lord forever. Our great reward is the rewarder himself. That is the greatest reward. It is to see the Lord face to face. There's no greater reward than that. However, there are still rewards for us who are faithful. And notice that not everyone gets the same rewards in heaven. You ever notice that? Uh, that there are those, and I believe that what we're going to see is during the millennial kingdom when Christ returns and sits up shop for a thousand years, this is where we're going to be able to partake of these rewards. And the reward is not just these crowns or things that we'll cast back at His feet, but these are also roles and responsibility uh, that, that God will give to those who have shown themselves faithful. Faithful in the little things, faithful in the big things, and faithful in the medium-sized things, and everything else in between. And God will give these rewards to us. So we can long and look forward to this, I believe without being boastful, but here's the issue is that if we're simply chasing rewards and not the rewarder, we've missed the point of the rewards. Uh, the, the point of the rewards are to point us to the rewarder because he is the greatest reward. Now David hears, he says, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness. According here is showing because of, looking at, based upon. Now David here, and we have to, as we talked about earlier, he's not puffed up with a prideful self-righteousness, but is showing that he has ordered his life by faith according to God's word. Now, when I say David or his life, what we normally have happen, and I'll, I'll never forget this. Uh, I was teaching about David, and we were mentioning him during youth group one night, and I said, tell me the first thing that popped into your mind about David. And the first thing that a teenager had to say was, David's sin with Bathsheba, right? I'm thinking, what about David and Goliath? I mean, nothing, right? David, none of that, no? Doesn't ring a bell? David being king? David of God's own heart? Our first thought oftentimes goes to his big sins that we see because we relate more to that than we do with slaying giants and being a king. But nevertheless, what we find is that in David's life, he was still called a man after God's own heart. And who, who called him that? God did. What matters most is not what we say about our life or what others say about our life, but what God says about our life. 
God said this about a man who sinned greatly. But we forget, though David sinned greatly, he also repented greatly. And he also suffered greatly for his sin. His sin not only was found out and repented of, but he even still yet, even with repentance, and genuine repentance, mind you, still faced consequences. So we must understand that though there might be real repentance, it does not mean that we get let off scot-free. There will still be consequences for our sin. What we reap, we'll, we, you know, we'll sow, right? All these things. What we sow, what we reap. But the whole thing, David's life here saw this, but nevertheless, in the eyes of God, he was a man after his own heart. Kidner writes, while as these passages show, David could quite properly use this language within a limited frame of reverence, reference. The Messiah could use it absolutely. And this psalm is ultimately messianic. Every theme in it was to gain new depth with Christ. The main concern of the passage is, in fact, to praise God as the protector of those who commit their souls and well-doing to a faithful Creator. With David, the servant of the Lord, comparing to uh, the servant speaking of his effect in Isaiah 50, where we see David is picturing and foreshadowing Christ. Notice, David is a man for God's own heart, but Jesus obeys perfectly. Jesus obeys completely. While David is able to say, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness and according to the cleanness of my hands, even yet still, Jesus is the only one that has ever had pure hands from start to finish. You and I, and David as well, we have times in our life where we've got clean hands before the Lord. This is where we find our greatest communion and fellowship with God. I believe firmly that we often don't see many answers to prayer and things because we refuse to get ourselves clean before the Lord. We refuse to see that repentance is needed in our life. David saw this, though, in his life where he is told, David, you're the man. And it wasn't a good way that we say today, right? We say, hey, you're the man. We go, oh, well, hey, thanks. David gets told he's the man and immediately seeks repentance, immediately seeks to wash his hands. You and I, if you get something on your hands, right, and it's icky and gunky and sticky and all that stuff, what do you, what do you want to do immediately? You want to get off your hands, don't you? Unless you're a little kid, right? Then you want to leave it on there as long as you can, maybe even try to eat it, right? Yeah, that's right. Hey, we've all been kids. We've all done that. We've seen They run around here. They lick every pew in this place, all right? But we want to get it off our hands. Why? Because we want clean hands. Spiritually speaking, that should be the desire of every believer. Now David says here, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he's to recompense me. Now, righteousness here is an important word. It is both avoiding what God decrees as evil and as well faithfully obeying what God calls good. It is twofold. It is what we talked about a little bit this morning that we're not just saved from sin, but now we're saved to something else. And so the idea of righteousness here in David's right living is not just that he's staying away from that which is unclean or staying away from that which is evil or sinful or those that are evil or sinful, the enemies of God even, but also that he does that which is right before the Lord. Now, how do you do that which is right before the Lord? We've got to walk with the Lord. How do you walk with the Lord? You have to do so through His Word, through prayer, through daily and, and even moment by moment dependence upon God and repentance to God. Now David is able to say that he has clean hands because he has lived by faith. Faithfulness is seen by having 
a clean heart before God and ultimately clean hands. Now we've got to understand why could David say that he has, how could he say that he has clean hands? Because there was a clean heart. Now, here's what religion does. Religion, Phariseeism, many of our own churches, what we often do and what we often preach is that we can have clean hands first before we have a clean heart. And it doesn't work that way. We must have a clean heart before God in order to have clean hands before God. God does His work from the inside out. And at this point, David understands his position in the Lord and that he is saved with trust in the Lord and that he knows that in the eyes of God, that though there is sin, yet he still belongs to Him. This is the believer's hope. This is our eternal security. Eternal security is not merely a New Testament understanding or a New Testament doctrine. This was here as well. David knows that he is safe and secure in the Lord. Furthermore, we find that this principle of having clean hands before the Lord and the Lord rewarding according to our righteousness and according to our our life and the order of it uh, is uh, seen as well in Psalm 5. I referenced it this morning. Psalm 5, 11 and 12. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee for thou... Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. Wilt thou, have, uh, wilt thou compass him as with a shield? Now, this is important because if you remember in Psalm 18, what some of the first words that he says? The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, my high tower. Is God a shield? Yes. To who? The righteous. God is not out protecting so much and defending the actions, the attitude, or the character of those who do not believe Him. As a matter of fact, the unfaithful are at odds with God. They're at enmity with God. They are against God. And as we've already seen in the Psalms up to this point, God is angry with them. And God is even against them to the degree that He's against their continued sinfulness and rebellion. He's desiring that they, like David, And like many others in David's uh, time and many that we read about in the Scriptures, that they would turn to the Lord and trust in His forgiveness and the promise of His salvation. Now in verse 21, it says, For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. David has kept by faith God's command and continued to seek His presence. This is what sanctification looks like. It is a keeping of the way of the Lord. And the only way that you'll keep the ways of the Lord is by grace through faith. You take away grace out of the equation, and we can't keep the ways of the Lord. You take faith out of the equation, and we can't keep the ways of the Lord. Notice this. It is by grace through faith in Christ that we are able to keep the way of the Lord. That is the idea to obey the Lord. You take away grace, or you take away faith, or you take away them both, and there will be no keeping of the law of the Lord. There will be no obedience. There is only obedience to God where there is faith in God. And so, as we talked about a little bit today, and as we've seen all throughout this study of the Psalms thus far, is that those who put their trust in the Lord show their trust in the Lord by obeying the Lord. Real faith has real fruit of obedience. It always will. They go hand in hand. Spurgeon once said, Before God, the man after God's own heart was a humble sinner. But before his slanderers, he could with unblushing face speak of the, uncleanness, or of the cleanness of his hands and the righteousness of his life. He, he, we see this in verse 20 and 21 where he says, 
I've kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. Now David, throughout his time, has seen many leave the ways of the Lord. They have left the promises of the Lord. They have left the presence of the Lord. And we see that David is clear here. He says, I- I've kept the ways. But notice he doesn't say I've kept them perfectly because even David knows this. David knows he's not been perfect always before God. Matter of fact, there's none been perfect except for Christ. This is our hope that David was looking forward to the Redeemer and now we're looking backward to our Redeemer's shed blood and looking forward to His coming, that great day of consummation. And like David, now we can say, we've kept the ways of the Lord, but it's all by grace. All through faith. Now the heart of the saved soul when we look at this verse and we see I've kept the ways of the Lord and I've not wickedly departed from His presence, we've got to understand that though we don't always keep the ways of the Lord, Jesus did so on our behalf. We have to understand that though we don't always live in His fellowship, Jesus always does on our behalf to bring us back into fellowship with the Father. So what we find is that where we fail and falter, Jesus has succeeded once and for all, always has, always will. And so you and I have something even greater than what the Old Testament saints got to enjoy in their walk with the Lord. Is that one, we can know positionally that not only that we are saved from our past sins, but we are saved from today's sins, the future sins. We are saved and secure forever. And because of this, this great imputation that the Lord took on Himself there on that cross. He took my sin. He took my disobedience. He took my unfaithfulness. He took every bit of that. And what He has done in return, this great exchange, is He has now imputed His obedience and His righteousness to me. So now, when we are justified before God in His sight, there is nothing and no one that can ever change it. It is done so in, in the courtroom of heaven, if you will. The blood has been applied, and there is nothing that can come in and say, well, actually, this shows that he's guilty. So now, in the eyes of God, it does not matter who brings anything or can anyone bring anything or even your own self bring anything before God where he says, you know what, actually, I'm going to change the verdict. They're, they are going from not guilty back to guilty. It's not happening. David rests assured of this, and as we should as well tonight. David knew what the Christian life should look like, and Christ had not yet come and died. It is living and practicing this life from our position in the Lord. We won't have communion with Him daily until we understand the union that we have and depend upon that union for daily strength and enablement for everything in our life. Where we find that now we're only able to keep the ways of the Lord as we depend upon Him and put our faith in Him and trust Him like David did and that we have not wickedly departed from our God. I believe perhaps that might be the key. David desired not only to one day in the future be in God's presence, but he lived every day in the presence of God. Daily seeking God. Daily desiring God. Daily wanting to be in His presence and knowing that even when David was all alone, that the Lord was with him. How do we know? Well, if you probably flip over a couple of pages in Psalm 23, David talks about this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for... Thou art with me. God is a present help in time of trouble. God is a present shepherd to His people, to those who trust in Him. David is assured of this, and he praises God for it. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. Verse 22, 
For all His judgments were before Me, and I did not put away His statutes from Me. God's law was the message and the motivation of David's life. Sorensen writes, though there were certainly had been a dark day in his life when David did fall into deep sin, that was the distinct exception. His life in the main had been characterized by a brightness in seeking to avoid sin. Because of that, David ascribed the protection of God and his deliverance as in an answer to his prayer. Now the Psalms are full of David's sin and times of repentance and crying out to the Lord in despair, but yet also it's full of David's faithfulness to God's Word. Hold your place here and turn with me to Psalm 119 for a moment. Now, I encourage you to go through and read Psalm 119, especially in regard to thinking about the statutes and the judgments of God. Here we find in the longest chapter in the Scripture, of the Psalms as well, we find that over and over and over again, essentially every little section of this psalm, of Psalm 119, is dealing with the law of God, the statutes of God, the judgments of God. Ultimately, what would we call those three things today? The Word of God and keeping the Word. Now in Psalm 119, verse 9-16, through 16, I wanted to share this little portion with you. There's several throughout all of Psalm 119 that we could look at tonight that would help put this in perspective, but I wanted to focus on this for a moment. David writes, Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Boy, that would solve a lot of our problems, wouldn't it? Taking heed to the word of God. He then says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. If verse number 9 doesn't take care of our problems, the first part of verse 10 will take care of our problems. Seeking the Lord with our whole heart. And then sort of as an aside, a prayer to God, he says, Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Notice, he's not really just saying, Lord, don't let me wander from the things that you say, but the idea is don't let me wander from obeying the things that you command. It's not merely, let, uh, don't let me avoid your law, but don't let me wander from obeying your word. David knows that we're not merely to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word, because faith ultimately obeys. He says then, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. What is the word? God's statutes, his judgments, his law. He says, Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. Now, David has read his Old Testament cover to cover, right? He's memorized scripture. Matter of fact, even the verse before, what does he say? I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And yet, what then does he ask of the Lord? Teach me thy statutes. Because David knows that no matter how mature David becomes, and even though God has declared him to be a man after his own heart, David still sees his need to be taught of the Lord. We get in a real spiritual danger when we aren't able to be taught of the Lord anymore. When we think we've learned the Christian life and we've got it down, or when we think that we are now experts and we've been around the block a time or two, Christianly speaking, so we, we kind of got this thing in the bag, there's danger ahead. We've got to see that we must always be taught of the Lord. He then says, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. David does not see the law of God 
as something meaningless or something that is there just to simply whack him over the head when he does something wrong, but rather he finds it to be something that he should rejoice in and depend upon and praise God for. God's Word becomes the motivation of David's life as it must be for us. All of his judgments are before us. And we must, like David, not put his statutes away. We must never take this book and put it off to the side. This is our bread. This is God's Word given to us for our benefit so that we know who He is and what He's like and what He's done and what He desires to do in us, through us, and for us. Furthermore, in verses 23 and 24, what we see is he continues this thought. He says, I was also upright before Him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Did you ever notice this? We only hear about David sinning with Bathsheba and committing that sin one time, don't we? We don't hear about him going back to it again. Now why is that? I believe it's because David knows what real repentance is. Real repentance is not merely sorry that one got caught. That's worldly sorrow in the first place. Real repentance chooses and disciplines one's heart by faith to not go back to it. To not go back to that same sin. To not go back to what had brought him away from the Lord and drew him away from the Lord in the first place. David is here rejoicing in the fact not in his perfection, but rather saying, Lord, I'm praising You that I have kept myself. And because of this position that I'm in, he's able to freely go before the Lord. He's able to freely look back upon his life and go, look at how God rewarded according to faithfulness. And we often see this, don't we? Matter of fact, I would say this tonight, that we don't see God's faithfulness when we are unfaithful. When we are unfaithful to the Lord, what we see is, well, God's just not helping me. He's just not blessing me. Well, why isn't He? Well, we're not very blessable right now, are we? I think many times we spend much of our Christian life very unblessable because we refuse to be blessed by God because we refuse to obey God. We refuse to walk according to His statutes, according to His Word. We refuse to, to live a life of faith like David had that stayed away from sin and that hid God's Word in our heart that we might not sin against Him. He says, I've kept myself from my iniquity. He says, therefore, therefore, because of these previous three verses, four verses here, therefore because of this, therefore because of His righteousness, the cleanness of His hands, because He's kept the ways of the Lord, because He's not departed from God, because He has kept God's judgments before Him, because He has not put His statutes away, uh, because He has remained upright before God, because He has kept Himself from iniquity, therefore, because of those things, hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in His eyesight. Ultimately, what matters for David is not the eyes of man. If you were to ask much of Israel, and even much of David's family during his life, if he was a good man or one worth following, you know what they would have said? No. How do we know that? They tried to kill him. They didn't want him alive. They didn't think he was worth following. As a matter of fact, there was the continued uprising and rebellion that happened all throughout David's life, it seemed. He was a man of war, much out of necessity because there was constant fighting, constant infighting and battle. 
Yet God declared that He was His man. David is not boasting in these verses as you and I might think if we simply look on the surface level of his own goodness, but rather in God's faithfulness to forgive him. And now he's able to express the example of what our life should look like. The only reason why David was able to say these things about his faithfulness to God is because God had been faithful to forgive him. God had been faithful to be merciful to him. God had been faithful to him day by day and to deliver David. This is much like when we see about the Apostle Paul who says, if anyone had a right to say that they were right before God, it was me. He said, I was a Jew of Jews. I, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. All these things. right? I kept the law. I did these things. He says, but yet that still wasn't quite, wasn't cut the mustard. The Lord saved me. The Lord changed me. And David is not here boasting of his own righteousness, but rather saying, this is who I am before God, not because I say it, but because God has said it. The eyes of God matter much more than the eyes of man, and they matter much more than our own eyes. The eyes of the world will tell us, and the eyes of the devil, and the eyes of many around us, the eyes of our own family, the eyes of our own heart will tell us how wicked we are, and will only look backward at the sin that we once committed, and they will not look at the cross. Our flesh does not want to look at the cross. Our flesh only wants to look at the sin. Uh, the, the devil, when he comes and, and comes whispering, or, or those who come against us, the only thing that they are able to see with their eyesight is the wrong that we have done. They are not able to see the position of who we are in Christ. Only the Lord can see that. This is why it's important to make sure that we are trusting in what God says about us and what God says about Himself, not in what man says, not even what our own heart says, for our heart condemns us just like that. The Lord has offered us forgiveness. Now the believer's practical walk flows now from our position in Christ, flows from our position in being in the Lord and belonging to Him, our communion and our union with Him. Now we do what we do because of who we are in Him, and that's what we find with David. We do not boast in our faithfulness, but that God is faithful to His faithful. That's the idea of this passage. David here is not saying, look how faithful I am. But he's saying, because God's been faithful to me, I've now been able to be faithful to God. If the Lord stopped being faithful to you for a moment, you'd never be faithful to Him. If the Lord for one moment took away His grace from your life, took away His faithfulness from your life, we would never be faithful to Him for a moment. Every bad thing we ever do in our life absolutely belongs to us. And every good thing that we've ever done in Christ, it belongs completely to Him. It's His work in us, through us, and for us, ultimately to His glory. We've got to understand that our faithfulness does not equal His faithfulness. But when God looks at us now in Christ, He sees that salvation has been applied. He no longer sees that sin that so haunts us. He no longer sees the sin with Bathsheba. He no longer sees the sending of her husband to be killed there on the front line, ultimately in some ways committing what we would call murder. He may as well be. And God no longer sees it. Rather, He's cast it as far as the east is from the west. That He has blotted it out of the book. It's no longer held against us. Why? Because the only thing now that is applied to our account and that holds weight in our account is the blood of Jesus Christ. Everything else is gone. David knows this and David trusts in this and he praises God for it and we must as well. And this is why this naturally flows into this next section of this passage dealing with God's faithfulness to us. And ultimately, this is where David is leading so that we then he can get to a verse 30. As for God, His way is perfect. 
Who is God, say the Lord? Who is a rock, save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and all of these things. Now, as we look here, verse 25 through 29, the first thing that we notice in the first couple of verses of this, verse 25 and 26, is that God deeply cares about those that are His and He always deals rightly. Verse 25 and 26 go together here. He says, With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the forward thou wilt show thyself forward. Now David understood a basic principle of God's dealing with men. That God often treats a man in the same way that a man treats others. Jesus explained this principle in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll look at that here in just a moment. Now, human nature wants to use a small measure of mercy with others, but wants a large measure of mercy from God. Jesus told us to expect the same measure from God that we give to others. There was a time, Jesus is talking about a parable, there's a servant who has to pay up and he ain't got the money. And he asks his master to forgive him, and his master does so. And then that servant leaves the presence of his master and he goes and he finds some, some poor guy that owed him some money, and he delivers him over to uh, the jailers, if you will, to have this worked all out. Well, his master wasn't too happy with him. Why? Because he had been forgiven a whole lot more than what he needed to forgive his own folks. The idea of forgiveness is very important here, but in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this idea of God dealing with man. He says, Judge not that ye be not judged. But the passage goes on. It used to be that John 3.16 was the most well-known verse quoted by everyone. Now, judge not that you be not judged is everyone's favorite verse. Especially the unbeliever. But normally the only part that they know is the judge not. They never get to verse 2. He says, For with that judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. Notice that. For with that judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Meaning this, for that same servant who was unforgiving, what did he then eventually receive? He was cast out. Things were rough for him. They didn't have to be that way. He could have been merciful in the way in which his master had been merciful, but instead, he refused to extend mercy and he only needed to extend that much where his master had extended this much of mercy. Now we think about this in our own life. How often do we give others this much mercy when God has given us this much? Awful lot. We want others to give us mercy and forgiveness and yet we are not so willing to dish that out. We're very willing to receive mercy and forgiveness but not so willing to give it out. God is very willing. He has been incredibly willing to give out mercy and forgiveness and continues to do so. And notice as the passage in Matthew 7 continues, he says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite! First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. With this, Jesus clearly puts into reiteration what David had talked about, that God is merciful to those that are merciful and He's upright. With those who are upright and with those that are pure, He shows Himself as pure. And those who are forward, He shows Himself as forward. 
those who remain in wickedness, sin, and faithlessness, God deals harshly with, yet not unjustly. And there is a difference. Those who refuse to forgive, God does not offer that forgiveness. There comes that day. Now, in Romans, and we read it as well this uh, morning, uh, the Old Testament passage in Exodus dealing with this, but in Romans chapter number 9, we see this in verse 15. Let me back up a verse. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Well, let's ask that tonight. Is there unrighteousness with God? No. As Paul writes, God forbid. God's never done anything unrighteous, nor will He ever. Matter of fact, God is incapable of doing anything unjustly. Verse 15. For He saith to Moses, and this was back in Exodus 33, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he heartneth. And with this, God is incredibly merciful. Matter of fact, we read all in the Psalms about how God's mercy is everlasting and enduring forever. But David is right here to say how God deals with man. We notice this. I think the longer that we're saved, that the lost world and when we were lost as well, we could not see the goodness of God. We couldn't. We were unmerciful, therefore we couldn't see God's mercy on our life. Now, we might look tonight and we might go, well, is God's mercy unfair? Not, not one bit. As a matter of fact, everyone in this world right now, in this very moment, if they are alive, is receiving God's mercy and grace. Everyone is a recipient of God's grace and mercy. If not, we wouldn't be breathing. Our heart would not merely skip a beat. It wouldn't beat at all. God's grace and mercy is the very reason for life itself that sustains us daily, moment by moment, even the lost pagan heathen that denies God and hates God. It's God's grace and mercy that keeps them alive. We must understand as we see here, they're not going to see God's mercy, one, from their perspective. They're not going to see it. Why? Because they don't want His mercy. They don't like God. They're against God. They're at enmity with God. God would willingly offer them mercy, but notice this. You and I, we see God's mercy all the time, it seems. We see God's grace and love and faithfulness all the time. Why is that? We receive it. We've talked about grace reveals. Faith responds. So where there is no faith, they do not believe that God is gracious or merciful to them. And they believe that God is dealing with them unjustly, but rather what we find is that God is not so much dealing with them justly. He's dealing with them mercifully. This is the point of the cross. God rained down justice upon Christ so that we could receive His mercy. So that we could receive His grace. David knew that this was the, the, the cornerstone of his life. Furthermore, verse 27, he says, For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but thou wilt bring down high looks. 
For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. Here David rejoices in the hope that is found in God's faithfulness to him, and he expresses what God has done for him and what he's been able to do because of God's faithfulness in his life. What is clearly seen is that when we are unfaithful, we can't see the faithfulness of God, and we also can't see our own unfaithfulness. And now David, because he's been faithful to God, he's able to see God's great faithfulness to him. Now we have poor attitudes about God. I find this in my life. I have a poor attitude about God when I'm in my flesh. I have a poor outlook on God's mercy and His grace and His kindness and His patience and His faithfulness even when I'm in my flesh. When I'm walking in sin, living in sin, or choosing sin over the Lord, what I find is that my attitude is Horribly poor against God. But yet, when we have these mountaintop moments or this quiet communion with God, what do we find? Constant faithfulness of God. Now, is it because in those other times He's not faithful? Well, no, He's always faithful. But rather, what we find is that now, because we're being faithful to the Lord, we're able to see His faithfulness. Our eyes are open to His faithfulness. Now, God loves to give His grace and His mercy to the humble. Notice in verse 27, He says, You'll save the afflicted people. But you'll bring down the high looks. The idea of the high looks is that is the proud looks. The boasters. This is why we can look at that verse and see the previous verses is not David boasting in himself, but rather he's saying, I've been faithful because God's been faithful and God has blessed that faithfulness. Now he brings down the prideful boasters and we can see this in several places as well. Uh, over in uh, James Chapter 4. James chapter 4, we see this about, about uh, God uh, giving grace. He says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. He giveth more grace. But God resists the proud. Did you ever have like that little brother or that little kid in your neighborhood? And, They'd run against you and you could just stick your hand out against their head and they'd kind of just run at you and they couldn't get nowhere. I didn't have any little siblings, but when I, was, when I got to be youth pastor, I kind of got to beat up on the kids a little bit. And that was fun. Not, not full beaten up, but you know. you know, The little kid, you know, he'd, he'd, am I saying little? I'm saying he's a 15-year-old kid, but he was about, his name was Alex. He was about four foot tall. He's mean as a snake, but he'd, he would do anything in the world for you. And uh, you, you keep him right and he'd have to be your shadow and he would just follow and Watching him grow was wonderful, but I remember one time as an illustration, I said, Alex, I want you to tackle me. me t- tackle you? I'm like, yeah, free shot, man. Come tackle me. In front of everybody. He's like, okay. So he walks around. He's like, you sure, right? I said, I want you to tackle me, Alex. Come on. So he kind of comes, and he's like, not sure if he should go all the way or not, and he comes at me, and I, <laughs> my hand goes on his head, and He's not going anywhere now at this point, right? Resisting. This is what the proud does to God. They're running at Him with all their might and they're just swinging away. God resists. He pushes back. But to those who are of a contrite heart, those who have a humble heart, God blesses. God is faithful. God redeems. God restores. The faithful are the humble. The unbelieving are the proud. He says, 
these who are afflicted. And David knows affliction. We often think that David only knows triumph and battle and a victory over sin, especially if we're just reading this passage, how God has delivered him over and over again. But David knows what it means to be afflicted. He knows what it means to be humbled. He knows how to be humble. And he knows that God brings down those that have the high looks. As a matter of fact, everyone that God defeated in David's life, they had a high look, didn't they? From Saul to David's own flesh and blood, they got high looks, a proud look, a proud heart against David. They wanted to be God's man. They wanted to be the king. They wanted to be the one in charge. They wanted to call the shots. They wanted to be the one called a man after God's own heart, but yet they didn't want to have to come to God with humble faith like David. Verse 28, he says, Thou wilt light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Here, God's faithfulness is a light to David. David has faced some dark days. He's literally been in the dark as he's surrounded by his enemies and they're hunting him down. And even in the midst of that, he's able to say that it is the God who gives him light. It is God Himself who is the light of his life. It is God Himself who enlightens his path before him. And later on, he talks about this in Psalm 119, that the law of the Lord, it is a light. It is a lamp unto his feet, a light unto his path. It shows him what he's supposed to do. It shows him where he's supposed to go. It leads him the way of everlasting. To be given light is not only that of, of a revelation as we think of, but that is the idea of prosperity and peace. When you sit in darkness, you don't feel very peaceful. Now you might say, well, I sleep with all the lights out. Okay, well, that's one thing here, but you think about when you're just a, a little scared child, normally most kids are afraid of the dark. We think we don't have much peace there. As a matter of fact, even as big and scary and strong and strapping as I might be, right? There's not many things that are much bigger and uglier than me. When I look out in the dark, it's awful scary still. You get out in the country somewhere and you're looking out in the, in the woods and you hear things, but you don't see those things. You kind of get a little spooked. Why is that? Because it's dark. And I can't see what's out there. But here he says, it doesn't matter how dark it is. The Lord is the light. It is the Lord who gives light. He enlightens my way. He lights my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. He will give me peace, prosperity, even in the midst of all of it. Now then, in verse 29, he says, For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. David goes back to his military times and he thinks about running through a, a troop, literally, in, in battle. And he thinks about leaping over a wall. Now, I've never done either one of those things. But David has, and he relates this to his life. And what he finds is that it is God who has equipped David and enabled David throughout all of his life. So, it's simple tonight. Everything that you've ever done for God, God equipped you, enabled you to do. Everything that you do in your daily life, from taking out the trash to going to work, to reading your Bible, even to prayer. God has equipped you and enabled you to do it. Therefore, are you and I to look and say, look how faithful I am, or are we to go, look how faithful He is? It's now His faithfulness that drives our faithfulness to Him. Because God has always been faithful all throughout our life, all throughout our days, therefore, He should have every bit of us be faithful to Him in return. We have no reason to distrust God. 
In his newfound deliverance, the psalmist expresses a spirit of confident joy. There is no barrier that the Lord cannot overcome, whether it be a troop or the wall of an enemy city. The presence of the Lord gives confidence of victory. Now hold your place there, or really you can just close your place there and turn with me to Romans chapter number 8. I want to end with this tonight. Romans chapter 8. Some of you probably already know right where we're going. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Notice the verse is not we are conquerors, but we're more than conquerors, but it's through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we look back at this psalm, what do we find? We find the same truth there in Psalm eight, in Romans 8. That God is for His people and has always remained faithful. And tonight, what I want to encourage all of us to do as we leave here tonight is I want us to go home tonight pondering the things that God has done for us and how God has revealed Himself and shown Himself to be faithful throughout our days. Think about God's faithfulness to you before you were even saved. Think about God's faithfulness to you since you've been saved. And now, then ask yourself, no matter what sin you've got in your life, no matter what thing or problem or tribulation or trial in your life that you've got, then ask yourself, can any of that keep you from God being faithful now? The answer is no. There's no barrier, there's no wall, there's no troop that can keep God from being faithful now to His people. But may we have a testimony like David had. That we choose by grace through faith to live a life that is clean and pure and right before the eyes of God. And to know that though the world might hate us and though those around us and even our own heart might condemn us, that in Christ Jesus we are no longer condemned. There is no condemnation. and There is no separation. And one day, we will put off this flesh and we will see our God face to face and there we will be delivered from the presence of sin forever and we will be in the presence of our Savior forever. We will be able to see and know Him in ways that we've never gotten to now. I want to encourage us tonight to simply do what David does. Be faithful to God. Because God is always ever faithful to us. Now, I want to go ahead and give you permission tonight. 
when God stops being faithful to you, don't darken this door ever again. Don't pick this up ever again. And don't pray ever again. But it won't happen. Because God will always be faithful. So therefore, keep coming in that door. Keep opening up this book. Keep going to the Lord in prayer. Because there will never be a second that we should ever doubt God's faithfulness. Not merely to us as individuals, but to His church that He bought and paid for with His own blood. So may we trust in the faithfulness of our God. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this time. We thank You for Your faithfulness to us. Help us, Lord, just to see these simple things of life of David and our own life. And God, while these are things that we've heard before, I pray that they would be fresh and anew for us, that we would see how faithful You are to us and that, Lord, we're called to be faithful to You not simply out of obedience, but because we love You, because we trust You, and because You've been so good and so kind and so patient with us and there's never a time in our life that You're going to cease to be faithful. Lord, help us to long and look forward and to live for the day that we get to see You face to face. And and Father, I pray that until that day that we would be used of You, that we would empty ourselves of ourselves, and that we would be filled with You. And God, that we would stay in Your Word, that we would stay pure and clean before You in communion and fellowship with You in all things. Go with us now. Lead us, guide us, and direct us. May You use our life for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Y'all have a blessed night. I don't hear the rain beating down, so scurry out of here while you can. We'll see y'all Wednesday night.